Welcome to the Cherry Hills Podcast. We're in a sermon series called God Is. In this series, we're learning who God is and how he wants to relate to us. Thanks for joining us. Well, I want to invite you to open your Bibles to the very first chapter of Matthew, which is in the New Testament, about uh, three-fourths of the way back in your Bibles. And if you are using one of the black Bibles, uh, the page number is up on the screen there. It's page 783 if you want to use one of those and turn to that. And we're going to finish our series today called Our God Is. And throughout this series, we've repeated several things. We've said we want to know who God is and how he wants to relate to us. We've mentioned A.W. Tozer's quote that what comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. And we've looked at 10 other names of God, surely not an exhaustive list by any means. There's many other names that are revealed in the scripture about God. But today, we're finishing with our God is Jesus. Uh, Years ago, I heard uh, Stuart Briscoe, great pastor from Wisconsin for many years, say that whenever he thinks about preaching, sometimes he thinks about this outline. What? So what? Now what? And I was thinking about that this week as I, I thought about, okay, most of us go, okay, I say our God is Jesus. That's what. But it's important from time to time to say, so what? Our God is Jesus. What is that? How does that matter? What is, what is the tension of that? And here's the tension. Not all religions believe this at all. Jehovah's Witnesses, if they knock on your door, are going to eventually talk to you about the fact that Jesus isn't God. Mormons don't believe that in the Trinity, that Jesus is co-equal with God. But Jesus made claims. Some people even say Jesus never claimed to be God. And I just want you to know that right out of the gates today, here's what I want you to see when we say our God is Jesus. Here's Jesus' claim. I'm co-equal and the only way to God. I'm co-equal and the only way to God. I'm co-equal with and I'm the only way to God. Now, I don't know if you want to try this, but go to your job this week or go to your school and make that announcement. That is as unpopular in the pluralistic country we live in as you can imagine. And it was just as controversial in Jesus' day. Uh, Jewish people struggle with this. People of other religions struggle with that when they heard that Jesus claimed this. And also, if we claim that we believe Jesus is telling the truth. And so I just want to like say this today is that our God is Jesus. And I want to talk to you about that. And so some of you may say, you know, wow. And and here's what I could get off on so many rabbit trails if I'm not careful, because there are so many qualifiers to this. But here's what I want to do instead. I've actually taught on this. You know, we're a teaching church. And so in 2007 and 2008, I actually gave messages on this. Again, this is more about that if you're interested. Some of you tell me that you listen to other messages on the website. If you want to write these dates down and look those up in the archives, you can do that. Again, no pressure. I'm not trying to promote my sermons. What I'm trying to say is if you want to go into more depth on this, we actually spend quite a bit of time, and you can look at that. Jesus is God. We taught on that in uh, March of 2007, and also God is Trinity. Uh, We talked about that in 2008. Again, that's just an idea, but here, just for starters, let me just do this. If you look at John 1, Again, John was one of Jesus' disciples. Here's how he starts 
his letter, okay? Uh, John, his gospel. In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was what, friends? God. He was with God in the beginning. Through him, all things were made. Without him, nothing was made that has been made. And again, if you, uh, if we've talked often about this verse, I won't, uh, we're not going to show this one on the screen, but the word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only who came from the father, full of grace and truth. Now look at verse 18 in that same first chapter. No one has ever seen God. But the one and only son who is himself God and is in closest relationship with the father has made him known. So again, I just show you some passages that say Jesus is God. And uh, I could show you other passages again, how Jesus says, I and the father are one and all that. But again, if you want to look at that in more detail, you can do that. Now, today, I just want to talk to you about the fact that if Jesus is God, What does that mean? And in Matthew 1, we come to this passage here where if you want to follow along with me, um, I'll, I'll ask you to read with me when we get to verse 21. But here's what happened. This is how the birth of Jesus the Messiah came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph, but before they came together, she was found to be pregnant through the Holy Spirit. Here's what I just want you to notice. There's no other human being that's ever walked this earth that can make that claim. This is how Jesus could be sinless. He was born of a virgin, but he was born through the Holy Spirit. All the rest of us have had earthly fathers and mothers. Jesus did not have an earthly father. He was born through the Holy Spirit. If we go further, because Joseph, her husband, was faithful to the law and yet did not want to expose her to public disgrace, he had in mind to divorce her quietly. They were already betrothed. But after he had considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife, because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. Now, would you read verse 21 with me? And it's actually part of verse 23 as well. Let's read it. She will give birth to a son and you are to give him the name Jesus because he will save his people from their sins and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. So I want to talk to you today about this idea that Jesus is Emmanuel, God with us, or Jesus is God. God with us, okay? So would you mind if we pray and then let's look at this together. Now, Lord, what a privilege. What a privilege to read your word, to gather together, and you've told us in your word not neglect, not to neglect meeting together, but to encourage one another and all the more as we see the day approaching. Oh, God, Help us live according to reality. There is a day coming that you have appointed. Help us. I know that there are some here in this room that aren't prepared for that day. They don't know you, but they want to, or they're not sure how to. I pray you'd reveal yourself to them. There are some of us here that are discouraged as we wait for that day. Oh God, let us encourage one another. And there are some of us that are not living the way you want us to live. Oh God, bring us back, but help us as we gather together 
to be stirred up by your word and by your spirit that we might know that Jesus is God and God is Jesus. In your name we pray, amen. Okay, so here's the thing. If you're following along, how does God want to relate to us? He wants to relate to us as Emmanuel, but in order to do that, here's, you need to understand several things. First, what does Jesus mean? When Joseph was told, look, I want you to name him Jesus. I have a specific plan. Uh, then what does that mean? To some of us, we, we just think Jesus, and we hear it in the anglicized way. But when Joseph heard that, he knew that that was a form of Joshua or Yeshua, which Joshua had been the one that led the people into the promised land in, after Moses. He succeeded Moses. So there's this idea that there's this uh, uh, sense of deliverance. And so if you're following along, Jesus means the Lord saves, rescues, delivers, and helps, liberates, all that. The Lord saves. That's, that's the simplest definition. He rescues, delivers, uh, you know, liberates, and helps. That's the idea. Now notice, by the way, in the notes, did you notice how I put the Lord in capital letters? In your Bible, Steve taught us this in the very first message of this series, that whenever you see the Lord capitalized like that, that's the name for Yahweh or Jehovah. That's the name he revealed to Moses. And so what we're seeing here is that, it's, that Jesus is the Lord who saves. He is Yahweh as well. And so I just want you to see that part. Now, if you, if you go a little further, then here's what he says about that. He says, now here's why I want you to name him Jesus. Because he will save his people from their sins. So if you're following along, here's what you and I need to know about Jesus is that Jesus came to save us from our sins. Jesus came to save us from, I wonder how many of us have heard that hundreds of times if we've grown up in a church. So much so that we don't even hear it anymore. Or that we have come to believe something about sin and sins, it doesn't even phase us anymore. I was thinking about the fact that we live in a culture that believes the goal in life is to be nice. And that I can do that in my own power without God that the goal in life is to be an okay person and that I'm an okay person. But the Bible says that's not reality. The Bible says all of us, all of us have sinned. And it doesn't just mean once. It means that we have sins on our record that condemn us. And again, I know even talking about this, we've been raised in a culture that's promoted self-esteem at such a high level that please don't hurt my feelings by telling me about that. Please don't make me feel bad about myself. I don't want you to feel bad about yourself. I don't want to feel bad about myself, but I do want to deal with reality. And the Bible says is that we are all sinners. And that... We cannot solve that problem by doing better or trying harder or meaning, you know, good intentions. So the Bible says is that God did something about this. And he sent his son, Jesus, to save us from our sins. This is unbelievable. Now, what's sin? Maybe one of the reasons we struggle is because we've lost, you know, that we don't use that word anymore. The word sin 
doesn't just mean wrongdoing. The idea is it's, it's the wrong orbit, wrong direction, wrong orientation, that like we even come out of the gates going at it the wrong target. We're aiming at the wrong thing. Uh, my Sunday school teacher when I was a little boy said, how do you spell sin? And we spelled it for her and she said, what's the center letter? And we would say, it's I. She said, students, whenever you put yourself in the center and you begin to think all of life revolves around you, your whole orientation will be wrong. You will be like a planet that's got the wrong orbit and everything you do will move you farther and farther away from what you were intended to be. And the Bible says all of us like sheep have gone astray. We have turned to our own way. And in order to take care of that, the Lord laid on his son the iniquity of us all. The idea of sin is is independence. So a, a book came out a number of years ago that said, Good Without God. And I want you to notice that that's the whole problem right there. Without God? I was made to do life with God. How could I possibly think the goal is to be good without God? But our world honestly believes that as long as you're a good person, you've got one over on God, and how could he possibly ever want to be separated from you? So if you're following along, here's what I want you to notice is Isaiah 59, 2 is a verse I list out to the right there. Why are sins such a big deal? Here's another word for sins, iniquities. But your iniquities have separated you from your God. Your sins have hidden his face from you so that he will not hear. And that's why, that's the, that's the penalty of sin. That's the problem of sin and sins. We are not sinners because we sin. We sin because we're sinners. There's something wrong at the heart of each one of us that God has to address. He has to save us from that. He has to rescue us from that. So again, if you're following along, here's, here's what I want you to see again this morning. Uh, the goal in life, it's not to be a good person, but a right with God person. The goal in life is not to be a good person. Now, please don't hear me. I've said this several times from this stage here. The goal in life is not to be an evil person. I hope no one walks out of here going, Jeff said the goal in life is not to be a good person. So I'm going to just go out and be evil. No, no, that's not what I'm saying. You hear people all the time say, well, I'm a good person, as if that's the goal. The goal is to be right with God. And our sins make us wrong with God. They break our fellowship with God. See, sins aren't just breaking rules. Sins are breaking relationship, fellowship. And so Jesus came to save us from that whole orientation, that whole orbit, that whole practice, so that we might be different people. And he, we saw this in our God is righteous, is that he came to be our righteousness. He came to make us right with him by something he would do on our behalf. Praise his name. So if you're following along, only Jesus can save us from sin's penalty, power, and presence. Only Jesus can. He was the only person to ever live a sinless life. He came to be the atoning sacrifice in our place that satisfied God's fellowship and bring us back to him. When I was younger, I memorized this, for Christ also died for sins once for all, 
the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring us to God. I love that. That's why he died, to bring us back to God, to bring us back into fellowship with God. Our sins separated us from God. He died to save us from that which separated us from God so that we could be right with God. And only Jesus can save us from that. So here's, here's just a, maybe you've heard this before, but uh, there was a guy that was once reading 1 John 2, 2 that says, God made Jesus the propitiation, propitiation for our sins. Now, that's a huge word. Most of us don't use it. What it means is, is that he's the atoning sacrifice for our sins. He's enough. What he did when he died for our sins was enough to bring us back into fellowship with God if we'll put our trust in what he's done for us. Well, this guy, he meant well, and he hadn't read the Bible very much. He was a brand new Christian. And the way he read 1 John 2, 2 when he was with a group was, he, God made him to become the perpetuation of our sins instead of the propitiation. Let me just say this. That's not why Jesus died, so that we could perpetuate our sins. He died to break the pregnant, the the power of it as well. So if you're following along, you see that there. It's just only Jesus can save us from sin's penalty, power, and presence. Now, what do I mean by that? What's the penalty of sin? The Bible says the wages of sin is death. Well, how come you and I are still breathing? Because what it means is that's the ultimate outworking of sin, but it also means that something dies in our relationship with God when we sin unless he reverses that. And so instead of the penalty that we all deserve coming to us, we can actually be set free from that. He can save us. He can rescue us from that penalty. The second thing is, is that he wants to save us from the power of sin. So a lot of people go, well, I'm saved from the penalty of sin. Now I can live as I want the rest of the time here on earth. No, he, he, he came to save us from the power of sin. This is the ongoing work that he wants to do in our life. So are you the same person you were five years ago? Are you still doing the same things you were doing five years ago without it bothering you? Just understand that Jesus came to save us from our sins, from the power of that sin, whatever it might be, if it's a besetting sin. And we all have them. The question is, is when we find ourselves doing those things again, do we, do we want him to break the power of that? Do we pray, deliver us from evil? You know, for your kingdom's sake, teach me, Lord. Show me how to be oriented with you the way you change me. And the last thing is he, he died to save us from the presence of sin. You know what the good news is about the, the gospel? Is, is that when you and I one day because we've trusted in Christ, do you realize there's coming a day where there'll be no more sin, no more dying, no more suffering when we're with him forever? Is anybody looking forward to that day where we don't have to live one more hour in the presence of sin? Anybody else interested in that? Jesus came to save us from our sins. Praise his name. This is who our God is. This is how he wants to relate to us. Aren't you glad? Isn't that good news? This is how he wants to relate to us. A person once asked Dr. Carl Barth if he was saved. They thought his theology was a little messed up, and so they said, are you saved? And he said, Madam, I am saved. I was saved. I'm being saved. I will be saved. He understood the theology of salvation is that it's a now and not yet reality that it's a done deal in God's sight because of what Jesus accomplished. So we were saved when Christ died in our behalf. 
but we are saved. My brother has a friend who, when he has a really bad day, regularly says, I'm saved, I'm going to heaven. And I love that. There's times it's important for us just to say that. I'm saved. I'm going to heaven. I have a future. And I can live today in that confidence. And I am being saved from the power of sin, even though I still struggle with it more than I want to or should. But I will be saved one day because what Jesus has accomplished is powerful. And it will happen. Oh, God, help me live in that and not be a hypocrite. So... He came to save us from our sins. Now, if you're following along, in order to save us, Jesus emptied him, emptied and humbled himself. In order to save us, Jesus emptied and humbled himself. This is one of the hymns of the early church. We just sang a number of hymns. Here's one of the hymns of the early church, Philippians 2, 5 through 8. We've often quoted these scriptures in this this church because it's so powerful. You must have the same attitude that Christ Jesus had. Though he was God, he did not think of equality with God as something to cling to. Notice he had equality with God before the foundations of the world. Instead, he gave up his divine privileges. Did he give up his deity? No. He emptied himself of everything but his deity. He he took the humble position of a slave and was born as a human being. When he appeared in human form, he humbled himself in obedience to God and died a criminal's death on a cross. Now, down, 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 down. From the glories of heaven to the lowest possible position on earth. That's how God wanted to relate to us. Why did he do that? Because it was the only way to save us from our sins. It cost him dearly. He emptied himself and he humbled himself. And in doing that, he not only saved us, but he showed us how to live now differently than letting the power of sin control us. We can be humble instead of proud. We can be dependent instead of independent. We can be turned out rather than turned in. This is what Jesus came to make possible. Our God is Jesus who saves and is with us. So if you're following along by saving us, now Jesus can be God with us. By saving us, Jesus can be God with us. See, unless he saved us, we have no fellowship with God. We've been separated from God. But by saving us from our sins, now he can be God with us. And we can be with God. So, Uh, Colossians 1, 13 and 14 says, for he has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the son he loves in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Praise the Lord. And this is what he he did. He came to save us, to rescue us, to liberate us, to change us. And this is the good news of how he wants to relate to us. And he, uh, this is what he wants for us. And so it only, that's the only way he could ever be God with us. Some people say, well, why can't he be God with us? Why do we got to talk about sin? And why do I need to be saved and all that? Because there is no other way, friends. That's how serious the issue was, but that's how seriously he took it. And that's how much he gave himself. And so notice if you're following along, this is why all in heaven sing his praises and we can too. Again, I, I, sometimes I'm with people that call themselves Christians and they have no joy. 
and they aren't stirred by this good news at all anymore, and it makes me sad. Because notice what's going on in heaven right now. When John was caught up in the spirit to see what was going on in heaven, when the curtain was pulled back, look at Revelation 5, 9 through 13. And they sang a new song with these words. You are worthy to take the scroll and break its seals and open it. For you were slaughtered, you were slain, and your blood has ransomed people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. And you have caused them to become a kingdom of priests for our God, and they will reign on the earth. Then I looked again, and I heard the voices of thousands and millions of angels around the throne and of the living beings and the elders, and they sang in a mighty chorus, Worthy is the lamb who was slaughtered, who was slain to receive power and riches and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and blessing. And then I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and in the sea, they sang blessing and honor and glory and power belong to the one sitting on the throne and to the lamb forever and ever. And they they sing this, they sing praises to him. Yesterday, I just walked up and down these rows and I put my hand on every seat. And I just found myself praying for whoever would sit in the seat you're sitting in. And I just found myself singing, oh Jesus. And I just sang, praise the name of Jesus. I just wanted to sing praise over what God wants to do among us so that our lips might be opened, that our hearts might be stirred, that Jesus is the God who saves. He's the God with us. And it should create a song in our hearts. It should give us a reason to praise him. We can praise him. We don't have to wait till heaven, friends. So some refuse to believe Jesus is God. What? So what? Now what? So what? Here's the so what. Do you know that this is the dividing line between people? Some believe this, and some will refuse to believe this till their dying breath. I used to think that all you had to do was tell people this good news, and they would believe it. And then I read even in Revelation 16 again this week that some people will curse God till their dying breath. And I just want to say this. I hope that always makes me sad. I hope it doesn't make me proud. I hope it doesn't make me look down on those people. I hope it makes me, oh God, please, please work in as many people as possible whenever this news goes out. But this will decide what's in your heart. Years ago, I had a friend whose dad came to the Lord after many years of mocking And he was totally turned off because a guy at work used to wear a cross that said, Jesus saves. And this guy said, Jesus saves. How corny, how ridiculous. And he had mocked this guy at work in his heart and sometimes out loud. And then one day, God melted his heart and he came to realize that that was the greatest news is that Jesus saves And it became the song of his own heart. That's the only reason I'm standing here, friends, is because Jesus saves. And he saves from the uttermost to the guttermost. He can work in your life 
And the reason why it's so serious that sin separates us is because sometimes it's not that it just separates us on God's side. Have you ever walked into a church building and because you've been doing something God didn't want you to do, you didn't feel even worthy to pray? You didn't feel like you could even, that God would even be interested in Now all of a sudden you have all this self-doubt that's separating you from God. And that's why God doesn't want us to be trapped in that. He wants us to come to him. He wants us to know that free access. And so, but there are some who refuse to believe. And uh, Jesus said this in John 335 through 36 says the father loves the son and has placed everything in his hands whoever believes in the son has eternal life but whoever rejects the son will not see life for God's wrath remains on them look at what Jesus says just a few verses later in 39 and 40 you search the scriptures because you think they give you eternal life but the scriptures point to me we've studied this before yet you refuse to come to me to receive life. Jesus said this directly to certain people. And then look what he says in John 8, 24. That is why I said that you will die in your sins for unless you believe that I am who I claim to be, you will die in your sins. Now, I, I, just, I just say this, friends. I don't care if this is popular today. It's the truth. And I would be more interested in all of us dealing with reality rather than what's popular in culture. Because the Bible says that if we refuse Jesus, we will die in our sins, separated from him forever. That's the hard news. But that's what makes the good news so good. It's because we don't have to refuse. We don't have to stay hard-hearted. We don't have to stay proud. We don't have to stay independent. We can humble ourselves and we can receive the good news. And so Jesus says, look, if you'll humble yourself and believe me and believe that I came to save you from your sins, then here's what I want you to know. Now you can live in my name. So if you're following along, we're invited to bow, believe, pray, and do all of life in his name. We're invited to bow, believe, pray, and do all of life in his name. Now, after I wrote these notes, I noticed one more thing that I hadn't included. I wasn't trying to be exhaustive, but right in the middle, in between believe and pray, do you know what I put? I put gather in. So you can add that if you want on the notes. But here's the idea. We're invited to bow. Now, what do I mean? Look at Philippians 2, 9 through 11. This is the rest of the song we read earlier, verses 5 through 8. Therefore, because he humbled himself, he emptied himself, therefore God exalted Jesus to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus, every knee should what, friends? Bow. That means to say, you're God and I'm not. I submit, surrender to you in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. So you and I can bow our knee voluntarily or we will one day bow our knee mandatorily because in the presence of God, that's what's gonna happen. The question is, where are you? We can bow, we can believe. Jesus says, you trust in God, believe in God, believe also in me, John 14, 1. So uh, John wrote, I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God that you may know that you have eternal life. You have a brand new life in Jesus Christ. Gather in, for where two or three are gathered in my name, there I am in the midst of them. 
And then he also says that you and I can pray in his name. He says this in John 16. Look at what he said the night before he was crucified. At that time, you won't need to ask me for anything. I tell you the truth. You will ask the Father directly, and he will grant your request because you use my name. You haven't done this before. Ask using my name, and you will receive, and you will have abundant joy. Let me just stop and say this. There's ways to pray. When Steve taught us, Father, you, can, you and I can start our prayers by saying, Father, You and I can start our prayers by saying, Lord Jesus. You and I can start our prayers by saying, Holy Spirit. All of those examples are given in the New Testament. But here's what I want you to know. In Acts 7, as Stephen is being stoned to death, he says, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. He prayed in Jesus' name, and he was heard. And so that's one more thing. And then notice that we can do all of life in his name. We studied this before. Colossians 3.17 says, and whatever you do, in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus. What's that mean? That means in the given righteous standing that he gives us, not in our own name, our own standing, but it also means as a representative of. So now you and I can do all of life in his name. I'm going to talk more about that next week, but let me just wrap this up. So knowing Jesus is God, would you mind reading that second gray box? This is what, again, Peter preached one day to a crowd. Let's read it. Jesus is the stone you builders rejected, which has become the cornerstone. Salvation is found in no one else, for there is no other name by which we must be saved. So if you have received Jesus that way, if you believe in him, then here's some good news. How can you and I know Jesus is God? Well, first of all, here's a question. Have I asked Jesus to save me? Now, if you're here and you've said, no, because I don't think I need to be saved. I don't think I have the problem you've been talking about. I don't think I have the gap between me and God. I think God and I are good. And I don't need someone. You know, years ago, Ted Turner said, I don't need a savior. I don't need someone dying for me. I hope he's changed his mind. But we do need a savior. And the the way it happens, as he says, is that you and I need to believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. We need to ask him to save us from our sins. Have you ever done that? Can you point to a chapter in your life? And if you've asked him to do that in the past, have you asked him lately to deliver you from maybe a besetting sin? But have you asked him? And this, I just thought about this this week. I was thinking, oh, Jesus, be my savior so that I am saved, I was saved, I'm being saved, I will be saved. Save me. You came to save me from my sins. Please, Lord. And again, now, if you turn your notes over in the back, you'll see where we've been. And so there at the top, you see some of the sentence we've been using. So we've talked about how our God is Yahweh, Elroy, the God who sees me, Jehovah Jireh, the provider, Jehovah Shalom, our peace, Jehovah Saba, our warrior, Jehovah Sidkenu, our righteousness, Jehovah Rohi, our shepherd, Jehovah Rapha, our healer, uh, Abba, who our father, uh, El Shaddai, our sovereign, or the almighty God. And then today we saw that our God is Jesus, Emmanuel. And these are all the things that Jesus, the heavenly father, the Holy Spirit want to be to us. It's the way they've revealed themselves in Scripture to us. One God in three persons. Now, here's what I want you just to see as we close. 
is knowing, is knowing him, if you turn the notes back over, is knowing him what's most important to me. When I was younger, uh, I learned this song. The greatest thing in all my life is knowing you. The greatest thing in all my life is knowing you. I want to know you, Lord. I want to know you, Lord. The greatest thing in all my life is knowing you. When I was in high school, we drove out to the mountains because we were on a hiking trip. And on the way out there, one of my youth leaders said, hey, we got plenty of time. We got like 15 hours. Let's memorize some Bible verses. I thought, well, that's different how I was planning to spend these 15 hours. But I'll never forget. I said, well, what should we memorize? And he said, let's memorize Jeremiah 9, 23 and 24. I still have it with me this day. And it came back to me as I was finishing the notes. It says, here's what God says. Let not the mighty man boast of his might. Let not the wise man boast of his wisdom. Let not the rich man boast of his riches, but let him who boasts boast of this, that he understands and knows me, that I am the Lord who exercises loving kindness, justice, and righteousness upon the earth, and that I delight in these things, declares the Lord. Let him boast that he understands and knows me. Let him make that the most important thing in his life. And Paul, as he came to know Jesus Christ, even though he had been caught up to a third heaven and seen things that some of us have not ever seen, here's what he said even late in his life. I want to know Christ. And the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of sharing in his sufferings. I want to know him. Do you know him? Because he wants to relate to you. He wants to reveal himself to you. But he's looking for hearts that want to know him. And so as we close this series, I'm so thankful for who our God is, aren't you? His character, his name, and the way he wants to relate to us. So as always, we often close by singing his praises. And today is no exception, but Chuck's going to help us as we prepare to do that. Thanks for joining us today. If you would like more information or to stay connected to Cherry Hills Church, please visit our website at cherryhillsfamily.org or follow us on Facebook.